Open your cerebral cortex and shift your lobes into upper beta phase because you are going to have Bitcoin knowledge transmitted directly into your vestibulocochlear. Your host of Bitcoin Knowledge is Trace Mayer, an early Bitcoin advocate since it cost a quarter, but this is not intended to be investment advice. A doctor of jurisprudence, but this is definitely not legal advice. And an investor in core cryptocurrency infrastructure, including Armory, BitPay, Kraken, and Mitagio, but this is not a recommendation of those services. Here, you get fed via direct mind download with pure and free Bitcoin knowledge. Okay, here we are back to the Bitcoin Knowledge Podcast. We have a, an awesome interview with Marco Santori. He's a New York attorney uh, on one of the legal committees for the Bitcoin Foundation, uh, taught CLE classes. Um, tell us about yourself, Marco. Well, um, thanks for having me, first of all. And uh, yeah, a little bit about me. I am an attorney here in New York City with Pillsbury Winthrop. Um, I also chair the Regulatory Affairs Committee of the Bitcoin Foundation. Um, I've taught uh, classes and CLEs on digital currency law from different disciplines and different angles, money transmission, securities, um, derivatives, it's uh, it's a pretty deep rabbit hole, as I think uh, a lot of people who are listening to this will probably probably know or will know soon, um, or at least suspect. Yeah, <laughs> or or at least suspect. And and you're right, you're right in ground zero. Uh, we got this bit license that Superintendent Losky from the Department of Financial Services in New York has proposed. Uh, you've been. Uh, speaking to a lot of these regulators you've been speaking to lots of other attorneys you know let let's just let's just start with the simple stuff uh the previous interview was with charlie shrimp he found himself in some trouble with how he was selling his bitcoins when new people are coming into this bitcoin space the last thing i want them to do is is find themselves in any type of trouble So can we talk a little bit to start with the general landscape, like the general legal landscape with digital currencies? I mean, are they even legal? Yeah. So at least in in the U.S., I think that, um, well, let me me back up a bit. Across the globe, there's really a, a, just a myriad different ways that digital currencies are treated. Um, You can find some jurisdictions that are, that are, welcoming to digital currencies you'll find different jurisdictions that are pretty hostile here in the u.s i think we're really leading the charge on bringing on bringing digital currencies under the umbrella of regulation and that you know that resonates differently with different people um but i think the regulators in general here in the u.s recognize um that bitcoin and the core bitcoin protocol at least and the technology behind it is here to stay I don't think too many of them really believe we're all going to be sending bitcoins back and forth to each other to pay our debts in the next couple of years. But I think they, that they all recognize the power of the protocol to move money, to move uh, property, to move digital assets, to enforce smart contracts and beyond. Yeah. Oh, and and we should probably uh, hit on like none of this is to constitute legal advice. Of course. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, it, we, yeah. we've got how many two hundred plus countries in the world? We got fifty different states. Uh, as we talked about in Charlie's interview, 
just in the money transmission area of the law, a lot of those laws are 40 years old in a lot of cases. And yet we're dealing with this new uh, technology that has, as you just alluded to, lots of different applications than just currency. You mentioned smart contracts, smart property. Yeah, Um, there's really a lot of different disciplines that, you know, if you want to say, this is what Bitcoin law is, you're, you're roping in a lot of different disciplines. And that's, and that's what I think the smart lawyer does is take an interdisciplinary approach to this. And, you know, we work on teams. And when somebody comes to me with a digital currency issue, it's very rarely just um, something that one lawyer can address with one set of expertise, with one, you know, skill set. Um, and so it, it oftentimes takes a team. So, like a brand new person coming in, they, they've heard about this Bitcoin thing, they, they want to use it, kind of like people heard about email and wanted to use that. What, you know, can, can somebody just go and, you know, buy $100 worth of Bitcoin and start experimenting with it? I mean, I, I encourage everybody, I encourage everybody to try that. Now, look, I, I, I think that you have to be careful about what you do. This is a this is a new space. It's a it's a space that is heavily regulated and also very vaguely regulated. So that's really a recipe for confusion in a lot of people's minds. And unfortunately, just getting Bitcoin is one of the most difficult things to do in this space. Um, you can do a lot of great things with Bitcoins once you have them, but getting them is difficult, and that has quite a bit to do with the fact that the regulatory regime, as you, as you mentioned, Trace, that governs this stuff, was written a year before the creation of the floppy disk. I mean, think about that. The, these, the people who sat around and wrote this law had, had no conception of the fact that we could uh, be carrying around millions of dollars of convertible value in our pockets, let alone on a laptop or a USB stick. So, um, those who are breaking new ground and pushing the envelope, at least on the business side, look, it's, it's difficult to do without any risk at all. And it's, and it's almost impossible to do without any risk at all and still be quick to market. Now, FinCEN, they they issued some guidance. Uh, We have, what, users, merchants, and exchangers? Yeah, so the the, the guidance that that you're referring to was issued in March of last year. It's what I called the starting gunshot for the industry. Um, The guidance created some categories where FinCEN was essentially trying to understand and get its arms around who the participants were um, in this industry. And they came up with different categories of participants, so people like exchangers, administrators, and users. Um, Exchangers are people who either exchange digital currency for government currency or one digital currency for another, or just hold your digital currency and then return it to you at a later time or place. Um, that's a that's an exchanger of digital currencies. Those people are money transmitters. And you've mentioned money transmission before. That's that's the that's the set of laws that within the Bank Secrecy Act, which is that law that was created so long ago, uh, that requires people who do this stuff as a business to register with FinCEN, among other things. So so companies that we'd know would be. Uh, Circle, Coinbase, uh, BitPay, even though they're a payment processor, um, 
Kraken would be an exchange, Bitstamp. So those would all be exchangers. Well, some of them. So BitPay is is one that I that is um, probably contested. I believe BitPay's position, and this is just what I'm informed. I'm not sure of it, but I believe BitPay's position is that um, they fall into an exemption uh, under the Bank Secrecy Act. And I know I just sort of explained what an exchanger was, but like every rule, there are exemptions, and BitPay is is a good uh, example of that. So BitPay says they fall under the payment processor exemption. Um, and I won't talk about BitPay, and I won't analyze their business model because they have their own. I'm sure they've got their and, own guys to and, do and that. And they, they've got their chief compliance officer yeah. who came from Visa, I think it is, or you know. So it's not like they're just running around wild west or something. Over no, there. no, not at all. They, 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 they have the right people on the issue. Um, but you know, suffice it to say, their position is that they are a payment processor, a merchant payment processor, and under the Bank Secrecy Act, even if you would otherwise qualify as an exchanger, you might still qualify for an exemption, which means you don't have to register and you don't have to do all those things. The merchant uh, payment processor exemption is for individuals, or, or I should say is for businesses, who stand in between uh, the customer and the merchant. And they stand, they participate in the flow of funds. And they have a contract with the merchant that allows them to accept payment on behalf of the merchant. So long as that payment is just enough to cover the goods being purchased, then they aren't a money transmitter. They're not a money services business. They're not an exchanger. Um, and it's provided they satisfy some other uh, requirements. They don't have to register with FinCEN, and they don't have to be a financial services company. They can just be a software company. And, and, there, and there are actually, I think, like six exemptions or something, and some of those exemptions would also be analogous to other business models in the space. Uh, for example, we have some of these wallets that actually hold the private keys. So instead of like the individual holding the private keys themselves, they're held with the custodian. And uh, that would be very analogous to, like, the security company, like Brinks or something, which is not a money transmitter because they're, uh, they're just taking the cash for the business from point A to point B, but they're not transmitting it between people. Yeah, I think that those are, well, those two categories are interesting. So you mentioned Brinks, and that's the armored car exemption, and there is an armored car exemption in the Bank Secrecy Act. Typically, if you're holding private keys, and I'm not going to, I'm not going to, you know, connect this to any particular companies. But typically, if you're holding private keys, um, the regulators are going to say that's taking custody of funds. That's participating in the flow of funds. That's probably, if you're a wallet company, receiving money and then transmitting it back to the owner, back to whomever the owner tells you to send it to, any number of things. Um, if you're a wallet company, you're probably a money transmitter. And, if, um, if you're holding the private keys. If you're holding private keys, yeah. Now, yeah. what about if you're just the customer? Like if you're just buying Bitcoins from, say, Coinbase or Circle, or you're selling your your, your Bitcoins back to them uh, to get dollars into your bank account, would you, I mean, are you an exchanger too? Or is it, or is it mainly just the company that's the exchanger? Or is it based on volumes? Or yeah, the answer is no. You are probably not an exchanger. Uh, FinCEN was careful to identify other categories besides the exchanger category. Um, one of those is the user category. So you're merely a user of digital currencies and therefore not a regulated entity. 
If all you're doing is buying Bitcoins or just selling Bitcoins on your own account, not as a business. So if you're doing it for an investment purpose and you're using your discretion, your own market timing, your own strategy, um, then you're probably not acting as a business and you're probably not a money transmitter. You're probably just a user of digital currencies, an unregulated individual. And so my, my barber, for example, he, he we were we were talking and and he seemed to like this idea of bitcoins. Um, can I pay him with my bitcoins? Am I going to be an exchanger if I pay for my haircut? Yeah, you can absolutely pay him with your bitcoins and he can accept them. Um, and still not be a money transmitter. That activity alone won't make you a regulated entity. You can go on to any one of those. So as a user, if you focus on the, on the, on the experience here, on day one, I wake up and I decide I want to get into Bitcoin. So I walk up to a Bitcoin ATM. I put in some cash. I present my, um, my wallet to the ATM and it sends me Bitcoins. Am I a regulated individual? No. No, I'm just a user. I'm just the everyday guy looking to use digital currencies like I would use any government currency. Then I go to, uh, but is the, uh, I should say now, the guy who runs the ATM, mm-hmm. he probably is a regulated entity. Because he's doing it as a business. Because he's operating it as a business. He's exchanging digital currencies for government currency. So I get my bitcoins from the ATM. I walk down the street to my barber. And I go to my barber. I say, give me a shave. He says, okay, that'll be, what is it, um, a fraction of a Bitcoin. And uh, he shaves you and you pay him. Again, you're just a user. You're just an unregulated entity. And the barber is also just a user. He's an unregulated entity. He can take those Bitcoins in exchange for his goods and services, the, the shaving cream and the shave, and not have to worry about any kind of financial regulation. Okay. Now, what are what are these administrators? Are miners administrators? So, um, administrators are a different category. So we went over exchangers and users. An administrator is somebody who puts diff- who puts uh, who can issue digital currencies into circulation, and critically also withdraw them from circulation. So. Bitcoin, as a decentralized digital currency system, doesn't really have any administrators, as far as I can tell. The closest thing we would have would be Satoshi, right? Because he put all this stuff into circulation, arguably. Or maybe the miners put it into circulation. But they can't remove digital these, these, this particular digital currency, Bitcoin, from circulation. So no, they're not administrators either. So that... Now, now it's not like Finson put Bitcoin in its guidance. It, it, you know, wanted this to catch other things like Litecoins or other virtual currencies. Does this touch other, other instruments out there like frequent flyer points or gift cards or things of that nature? Yeah, you can even you can keep going. You can say World of Warcraft gold, uh, Amazon coins. If I think they may have shut that down, but Reddit gold, all of these different valuable things that companies set up for you to acquire, accumulate, trade, spend. These are probably kinds of digital currencies, but FinCEN recognizes this, and so they introduced another definition, another distinction. They said, look, what we're concerned with, what we're concerned with regulating are not just digital currencies. In fact, they call them virtual currencies. So 
will start using that uh, terminology, even though most of the community really hates it when you do. <laughs> um, it's not all virtual currencies we're concerned with. It's only convertible virtual currencies. And a convertible virtual currency is, and I don't have the definition in front of me, but generally speaking, it's a currency that, that has a value in what, what they call the real currency, government currency. It's some kind of ascertainable value. It can be exchanged and used, used in place of government currency. Um, so you mentioned airline miles. Airline miles could be a virtual currency, but they're not a convertible virtual currency because you can't go down to Starbucks and spend them on and, sp- and spend them for a latte. You can't go to Overstock and buy socks with them. The, uh, the alpaca sock uh, meme that we always see. You can't go and buy alpaca socks with your with your with your airline miles. Because of that, FinCEN is less concerned with them. They don't require these people who use them, who exchange them, to be who even issue them or, or who issue them as money transmitters. Because if you think about it. Your gift certificates to Best Buy, to any any other big box retailer, they're a form of currency. They're this stored product. And there's a different set of regulations that applies to them, but not the stuff that we're talking about, not the heavy uh, financial services regulation that applies to things like Bitcoin. Yeah, because th- this is actually a very exciting new space. There, There's a website called pointshound.com. Yeah. I don't know if you've seen pointshound, yeah. uh, but it's... You, you you book your hotels on on Point Sound, and then you get your rewards, and you can choose to get like American Airlines miles or Hawaii Airline miles, or you can actually get Bitcoin back as your reward uh, program. And so I think it's going to be very interesting to see the different types of innovation that begins to happen in this space because. Uh, you know, you talked about these smart contracts or the, the digital autonomous corporations using these virtual currency, and really it's it's just a, a new form of internet protocol. Uh, currency is just one application of that, kind of like we have gold, uh, and currency is only one application of gold, but we can also use gold in a watch or in a dental filling or something like that. And like our virtual currencies and these smart contracts that are made possible, we could have the actual airline tickets be on the blockchain, yeah. for example. Or we could have uh, the gift certificates or even the, 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 the dollar could be issued on the blockchain. It's theoretically possible. So we, we have a lot of different potential ways that, that, these, that this new virtual commodity uh, can be applied and can be used. Let's see what what else is there to kind of uh, cover in this area. You know, I think it depends on how you're approaching this issue. If you're a business person, there's a big <laughs> there there is its own set of concerns and its own challenges and issues that are important to you. If you're an investor and one of those business people, there's a, there's really a different set of interests and challenges for you. Uh, a lot of that overlaps with the interests of the business, but some of them are, are a little different. If you're just uh, a participant, an everyday kind of Joe who wants to buy some Bitcoins and decouple himself from the banking system as much as he can, a lot of people want to do that, then there's 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 a whole different set of concerns. They, they all revolve around privacy, around security, uh, around regulation, around keeping your investments safe, and all these other things. So there, there are a lot of different approaches to this, depending on 
what your interests are. So, you know, the, the, the U.S. Marshals, they just auctioned off like $20 million yeah. worth of Bitcoins. They don't, when they seize cocaine, they don't auction the cocaine, uh, but they auction the Bitcoins. So, I mean, the, the U.S. government has come out affirmatively and actually sold the Bitcoins and gotten dollars for them. I mean, yeah. there's no reason to really be uh, scared that the Bitcoins themselves are illegal. No, it's I really what you do with them. I don't think right now it would be fair to characterize Bitcoins as contraband. Uh, and I think that you know, you gave the example of the U.S. Marshall auction, and yeah, the U.S. Marshall doesn't auction contraband. Now, did the U.S. Marshall come out with some kind of official opinion saying, oh, Bitcoins are legal? No, in fact, FinCEN hasn't even done that. And I and I think that that uh, I I know that I've that that uh, FinCEN has specifically come out and corrected people who have said that FinCEN said bitcoins were legal and they say no you're putting words into our mouth we never said that we're just saying this is how they're regulated so no government agency has come out to say bitcoin is legal um but you know no one no government agency has come out to say picture frames are legal either or suit jackets well and and it's that which isn't prohibited is allowed yeah generally that that is one of the fundamental maxims of of uh, common law um, yeah, I mean, we have to point to some authority that would say it is, le- it, it is illegal yeah, in order for there to be due process of law. Yeah, especially on the criminal side, especially there. on the criminal side. So, so for a brand new person coming into Bitcoin, do they really have much to be scared of from like any type of legal liability if they're just coming in to buy 20 or 50 or $100 worth of Bitcoins from a friend or from an ATM or from Coinbase or Circle and then using that... Uh, with some merchants, not really. I mean, look, if if you're looking to get involved in digital currency, there's nothing wrong with going and buying some bitcoins. Now, obviously, all kinds of things might come up during the purchase or sale if you're buying from an individual, or you might be buying from um, a from some kind of exchanger that may not be fully compliant with some jurisdictional regulations, but. For you, as the individual just looking to buy some Bitcoin and experiment, no, there's, there's, there's really nothing to be scared of except, you know, volatility, right? As, yeah. as with any currency or commodity, it changes value. Ha, have, in, in your practice, for example, have you seen any people, uh, you know, perhaps been robbed or otherwise aggressed against as they're trying to, like, enter this space? I mean... You know, if you're going to meet somebody at Starbucks and buy some bitcoins you with know, cash, it could be kind of dangerous. Yeah, you you hear stories about that kind of stuff, but um, I haven't had any real firsthand. I, I guess technically, since since I'm a lawyer, everything's second. <laughs> I haven't had any real secondhand experience with that um, in my practice. I think you know most people are smart. It's like if you're going to buy something on Craigslist, you you do it in a public place, in a well lit area. Or you just do it online. There's plenty of people. Or with someone you know that already has some Bitcoins. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Let's see. Are there there any other things that we should discuss or uh, things kind of off off the top of your mind that you think uh, our audience here would find valuable? Look, I think for investors, right, I think that it's important to know what, just, just what role your your the company you're investing in plays in the ecosystem? Just because 
people can use their website to buy and sell bitcoins doesn't mean they're an exchanger and it doesn't mean they're very heavily regulated. If you're a business, the same applies to you too. And you have to chart your regulatory course carefully. Um, if you're somebody who just, who's just looking to get into bitcoins and is shopping for um, a wallet provider, there's different metaphors out there. Do you want to go with the bank metaphor, the give us your bitcoins, we'll take care of them for you metaphor? Or do you want to go with the wallet metaphor, the here, here's some software for, for you to hold on to your bitcoins yourself? It's a whole wide world out there, and I would I would encourage you to do your research and talk to people and come to the conferences and see um, see what you can learn. Yeah. Uh, it's been a wonderful interview. Thanks for sharing a lot of your expertise and knowledge on the subject with us. If people need to get in contact with you, how can they do that? Easiest way is to uh, Google my name. I'm, I'm, you can you can find me all over the place. Um, yeah, so Mar- marcosantori.com? Marco at marcosantori.com. Okay, wonderful. Thanks so much for uh, being on the interview with us. You got it. Thanks for having me. Be sure to get a copy of the free Bitcoin Guide at freebitcoinguide.com. Got a question or suggestion? Record your voice at bitcoin.kn. Don't be shy. To help the show, share bitcoin.kn with friends, post about it on Reddit, and otherwise, spam the interwebs. Your iTunes comments and five-star reviews are very important to us. Please continue tuning in to the Bitcoin Knowledge Podcast, where we release interviews with the top people in the Bitcoin world. Now take some choline and let that Bitcoin knowledge consolidate.